Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to our podcast. We have a terrific topic today that all of you have experienced as managers, the silos and breaking them down between sales and marketing. So it's a very important topic. And I'm thrilled to have our expert today, uh, Jason Cessna. And Jason is the Chief Lending Officer for Wisteria Credit Union in Colorado. And But Jason has a terrific background. He was with GMAC. He's with Chase. He's been in all phases of mortgage banking and certainly has seen enough silos, I'm sure, to last him a lifetime. So, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about, I guess, first off, you know, how did you get into managing going back now, your 20 years or so? How did it happen for you? You know, for me, I, I, was, I started out in mortgage sales. I did pretty well at that. But I always found myself getting pulled into like leadership roles or wanting to be involved. So whether it was a committee with the local association, you know, peer roundtables or mm-hmm. just special projects, I was always raising my hand. And I think the the big break I got, so to speak, to get into management because I had the interest to do it. I had good sales. So, you know, you start weighing, does it make sense or not from an income perspective? And then, you know, taking a look at what drives you. But it was when uh, GMAC Mortgage bought Ditech that I was brought out to California in a kind of manager and training type program where I was able to look under the hood from a mortgage banking perspective. And then that led into uh, sales leadership after that. And I've, I've been in a leadership role ever since. So obviously with all these years and certainly the different companies you've been with, what what's kind of the best advice that you've ever really heard on managing? Because managing is not easy. Yeah, I think managing and, and leadership are, are two different words. You know, managing is definitely tough. I think leadership can come easy for the right people. I think some of the greatest lessons I've ever had will really come from from mentors and trying to pull what those those strengths are and being able to apply that into the business. I don't know that everybody necessarily drives into to management for for all the right reasons. A lot of times they're they're pulled in there because they were you know a great salesperson and then that salesperson you know that management left and they're like hey why don't you go do this. So I don't know if uh, there's always the right reasons behind it, but I found that, you know, strong purpose is a, is a good driver for doing that. So when you look back and from an advice standpoint, and I know you read lots of books, was there any books in particular that you found helpful in your managing? You know, I think there's a lot of, lot of great books out there. Um, I would probably name all of the, the ones that you would think of, you know, Speed of Trust and Mm-hmm. execution and, and leadership. I really think the greatest lessons come from the mentors and those mm-hmm. people that you had a chance to work with and being able to pull those strengths and, and seeing them in action and, and not everybody's perfect. And so being able to see those things that really work effectively, either in times of different situational type of leadership that comes out and you see how people react and those that do it well and those that don't and be able to bring that in and kind of add it to your fold has been a, a good piece. And then I also think peer mentorship happens too. So without having like a formal mentorship, uh, you can acquire and develop sharpened skills just by hanging out in the right circles and and being in a position where you're you're able to exchange some of your strengths with with those around you and, and vice versa. So I, I well, there's a lot of great books out there. And don't get me wrong, I I'm in a couple of books. I listen to books more than I read books, just from a time and calendaring perspective. But you know, I tend to dive deeper into instead of broad type 
leadership books, I tend to dive a little bit deeper into specific things I'm looking at. So like everything we're dealing uh, with uh, with the virus and, and stuff right now, I, I grabbed this Stay Positive book. And I saw this on somebody's post on LinkedIn. And it's just a nice daily little piece that, you know, helps reflection of yourself. But then you can also push it out to your folks and just kind of help people with the with the mindset type of piece. And then I'm also listening to Strength Finders, which is just really diving into people's, you know, what drives them, what's their core strengths mm-hmm. on how they're able to, to lead folks. Well, when you look at managing from the standpoint of the secret sauce, what do you think it is? And, and why don't you talk a little bit about that? From a secret sauce, you know, I, without being cliche, I do think you have to fall back on the why, you know, and mm-hmm. why you want to be a manager. I think a lot of times people are misled about what management or the role is really about. But, mm-hmm. if, you know, if you can really step back and say, hey, what, what makes me happy? You know, what mm-hmm. provides me fulfillment? What provides me happiness? What are the things I'm good at that are aligned with that? Or if it's more destinational, you know, where do I want to go? What, do I, what, is, what does my career look, look like? You know, what are the things that are going to make me happy? But if you're, you know, if it's ego, title, or, or money, it's probably the wrong reasons to step into a management role. So I think the secret sauce is just really understanding what drives you and where those strengths are, whether they're to be developed or, or they come more natural. It seems like that understanding that why and really getting driven behind a purpose is, is the best thing you can think of from a secret sauce perspective. Yeah, that's really a great point. And I definitely agree with you for sure that people sometimes fall into managing just because they get an override or some other thing, which really isn't really reflecting the core challenge that you have as a manager. And so that's really a good point that you're you're mentioning. So if you had to talk about what is kind of the principle that you keep coming back and managing, in other words, what is it that it's kind of your rule of thumb? I think my rule of thumb is just, you got to be a people leader. Like you mm-hmm. really got to, like for me, I, I believe my purpose is just really helping people get where they want to go. Mm-hmm. And and that's different for everybody. And it, it, it'll change throughout your career. But if you generally care about people and you want to help them, you know, achieve the things they're after, and you're in a position to be able to help them get there. To me, that's, that's the most rewarding. Seeing people from go from, you know, I've had people that start, you know, from a, maybe a, a new loan officer role and then work their way through, you know, some of the top sales in, in the country or because that's what the route they wanted to go. I've had others that wanted to go grow into leadership roles and they've started as loan officers and moved into leadership roles and are running very successful mortgage groups right now. So it just depends on what those people's purposes are and what their destination is. And if I can be a part of that, I find that to be the most rewarding. Right. That's a great point. I think you really are saying that it really starts with understanding yourself first before you can get into the role of leading, which is really a key point for sure. So let's talk about the famous issues. And we see it all the time in mortgage banking and in banking, this whole issue of silos and certainly the fight between sales and then the fight between OBS. What do you think that's about? And how do you think is the best way to really resolve these issues? Kind of talk about that for everyone. Yeah, the silos, breaking out silos has been an ongoing, ever going. Seems like different companies have different levels of it. Some companies are able to to remove it. I've been in situations of of all of that. So started Mm -hmm. with silos and was able to kind of help fix that. And I think you know, reflecting back on it a little bit, I think it starts with leadership. I thought I think it starts with leadership's ability to lay out a strategy with a solid plan that everybody has a common goal 
being able to communicate it to the point where you know we have a common goal so a lot of times between sales and ops you know sales feels like the pressure that they have to you know their their opportunity is on the sales side so they have to acquire or originate an op you know a loan or they're mm-hmm. in the back room and operations sometimes they think about the tasks that they have to do versus at the end of the day they're still they're doing the same thing they're part of the origination flow so just being able to come up with that strong understanding of the common goal and that if everybody's doing their part then they're able to execute and, and create some happy homeowners i also think from leadership perspective you take a look at the execution component so do you have all the right people in the right places have you laid out the right processes and and then maybe added some technology to it. And not that all those have to be perfect, but people with a common goal, they want to still feel like they have a chance to achieve. So they're going to need those things in place. And if they're not in place, then they need to be working on them. Again, never anywhere is perfect. And I think the other one is is trust. And I think it, this is probably the biggest component of it is, you know, do you do you trust each other? Do you do you have the ability to say, okay, I can I can do these few things and then hand it off and not look back? Do I have full trust in my partner? Because that's really what it, what it is. It's a partnership between sales and operations. And if you if you believe that, and you're able to put people in a position where they can focus on what makes them the most successful within those roles, and having the trust to be able to pass it on that it's going to be fulfilled, that's really where I've seen sales take, you know, origination, take mm-hmm. new heights. And Part of it's the sales and operations and trying to just get rid of the names even, you know, and just call this, this is my origination channel. There's different roles within it, but as we can't help ourselves, we always fall back into the sales and operations. I think there's other things that can happen there from a goal alignment, you know, from whether it's compensation or some of those other things, because sometimes that disparate compensation can create uh, some angst. So do you have like a incentive-based model throughout your origination channel? And if if not, then what are you focused on? So I think a lot of those different things will, will come into play between the, the sales and operations. But I think trust is the biggest one. If people feel like it's being broken down or not being fulfilled, then it's a reputational risk on one end or the other. Right. So have you ever instituted or in any of the organizations that you've been with, um, I've certainly have seen lenders give like a service, a service contract between ops and sales that we're going to do this and you're going to do that because otherwise you run across this whole issue that ops feels sales isn't really filling out the apps right. And likewise, sales feels that ops isn't really picking it up. Have you gone to the route where you've actually had like a service agreement between both parties? Yeah, call them service level agreements. Sure. And I, I think that just comes out with, you know, kind of like your, it is your contract, so to speak. So like I, for me to be successful at this, I need to have you do that. Right. And creating clear expectations for people is is really powerful. And then holding them accountable for that mm-hmm. uh, just reinforces it. And so, yeah, I think I think it's important to keep things objective too, because a lot of times, as you know, um, when the emotions get involved, mm-hmm. it usually doesn't end up being out too good. So, you know, if you can create objective conversations or objective um it helps resolve issues typically if you can take that objective look. So, you know, somebody where they don't trust their fulfillment partner or their sales partner for getting things done that they're supposed to be done. Typically, if you can follow that back on like, hey, you're supposed to do A, B, C, and D, you mm-hmm. know, I've gotten uh, half of an application. Good news is technology helps with a lot of that stuff sure. now. So mm-hmm. you can kind of prevent people from stopping short. It doesn't fix all. 
but um, it also helps uh, align with uh, reporting and such from uh, from a service level agreement as well. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is the soft touches too, you know, response and phone calls or emails or right. just giving me the information that I need to continue on to the next thing. But I'm a fan of creating objective conversations. And if um, service level agreements and or, you know, checklists or technology that supports it's able to do that, I think it's, I think it's a strong. So let's say that you're at a branch level and, you know, you're out in a remote location. And of course, a lot of those folks um, aren't with the operational side on a day-to-day basis. How do you encourage that conversation? I mean, how, how do you improve it when it's not not very good? And also, I guess, uh, how do you take it to this other level? Is this just once a year that you bring them all together in a sales rally, which is pretty typical? Or is it is there anything else that you do that actually helps that branch that needs their loans closed for sure? Yeah, there's a there's a lot with that because that's that's the hard part, right? If you're, right? Well, I can just walk over. What that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best way either. But what it comes down to is, I think, relationships. So mm-hmm. how can you how can you build those relationships between the counterparts that are working together? You know, with uh, you know working remote with everything we're dealing with COVID right now is, you know, these video cameras are on every single computer now. So we've we've mm-hmm. essentially created a way for people to be able to communicate a little more effectively beyond, you know, just kind of a cold email. Uh, I'm not saying everything needs to be that way, but if you can, you can figure out ways to do uh, remote meetings through, you know, either Zoom or WebEx or something where people can see their faces. I think there's some value in that. And I think um, that creates an opportunity for people to kind of lighten up a little bit, understand people's personalities and really get to know and, Typically, when people get to know each other and they, they feel like they have a friendship, they want to serve them more mm-hmm. and it becomes more reciprocating. And then there's the other part of it, too. It's like, hey, we've got full pipelines. I can't just drop everything and answer emails because I got work to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, having some call blocking or, you know, making yourself available and then making it known that, hey, I'm not I'm going to return all my emails, whatever, between 11 and 12 for, you know, picking time so that people can have expectations that, yeah, you got it. You're going to be looking at it and you're going to be responding, but you need a time block because you've got an abundance of uh, pipeline to work through as well. Well, that's a really great point. And really in my own experience, talking to uh, enough top producers, it's interesting to me and I'm interested in your thoughts. What I always saw with top producers and probably why they are top producers is that they recognize that they have internal selling responsibilities in addition to external. And the internal is the relationship they build with ops. Um, you see the better producers recognizing that. Sometimes you don't see that with the the lesser producers who basically see this adversarial relationship, which is really because they don't have enough prospects or referral sources. And so when they lose a loan, that can be dramatic. When a top producer loses a loan, it isn't having the same impact because they're bringing in more production. Has that been your experience? It has. I, I, I think, you know, top producers have a very rigid process and with in which they function. So how things flow and how things go, I think they're very acute, uh, detailed on what those processes are. And let's face it. I mean, it's, it's, we're dealing with people. So it comes down to relationships. So sure. if you're, if you're trying to, you know, you've got that top producer, we've seen them, right. 
top producer that blows up operations every single time. And the loan, the sales manager kind of lets him get away with it every time because of the amount of sales they're doing is not building, is not breaking down silos. That's just, that's just reinforcing or creating deeper silos. So that's, right. that tends to be a problem. The salesperson that understands that, Hey, there's a face on the other side of this and there's a strong relationship. And frankly, they put their respect and shared success on the execution of their ops partners. I mean, that's that's really where you start to see the fluid. And once you respect that and, and thank right. that and, you know, work together, I think you have a stronger team. And I think it does come back to the leadership on just not letting that kind of stuff happen. I've seen right. the tales both ends very many times. Sure. So during the interview process, then you think this should be part of the discussion that you're having with an originator or even an ops person that, you know, what is the standards of services? What is expected? Do you have those types of conversations when you're in the interviewing process? Yeah, I try to be, you know, nobody comes out and says, hey, I'm a jerk to, uh, to my <laughs> operations team, you know, but yeah, I, I think, uh, I, I think, especially with the tenure of, uh, of, of our business right now, it's not hard to find out if you're doing a little bit of reference checking on sure. who, you know, who they are, you can get it that way. But I think, you know, smart questioning and focusing on that is important. The other thing I like to do is, and I use this as a way for recruiting to bring on top talent is I, I involve my operations teams or secondary marketing, some of the other departments, but you know, your ops, ops team manager or ops leader is going to want to ask a few of those questions and they'll kind of smell it out a little bit too. You start asking a few questions or put somebody in a tough situation like, hey, what would you do if this happened? Tend to get a pretty quick sense on how they're going to treat your, your, your team. And the best thing you could do is not let them in the door because once they're in the door, then it's a whole other set of uh, things yes. you got to deal with. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you raised a really great point that uh, about including the ops people in the interview process. It should be part of the interview process just for the reason that you've already mentioned. We only have a few minutes left, and I just thought this is a great topic. We could go on for a long time about it. But if you had to say kind of the two or three things that you would want our listeners to really think about and implement regarding breaking down the silos, what would that be, Jason? Yeah, I really think it comes back down to leadership. You know, I think I think breaking down the silo starts at the top of the house. Um, you know, when you look at your top of the house, you know, do you have high trust amongst those people working together? And then are you creating an environment where you're invoking and building trust? Do you have an empowerment, you know, amongst those folks to be able to do the jobs they need to do with the objectiveness back to accountability and, and just making sure that everybody is 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 doing the best they can to get that thing through. And then I think the, the last thing is just to celebrate the wins together. You know, it's very easy to call out the top producer, but, you know, I found it's better to call out the top top producing team and, you know, aligning the whole uh, fulfillment chain there. So maybe it's uh, it's the loan officer and a couple of processors and, and, and uh, some underwriters and stuff. So they were getting celebrated together versus, you know, just calling out people on a single level. It goes further with, uh, with the whole team and it just kind of reinforces the fact that, you know, it's a team sport and, you know, while we have individuals that do great volume without without that support, they're not able to accomplish that volume on their own. Well, that's a terrific point to end with today. I mean, this is that was really a great, great point. Um, so I want to thank Jason for sharing his wisdom on this. And I want to thank everybody for listening today. Certainly look forward to our next podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Pat.